Before this episode begins, I would just like to say the audio quality was extremely poor, which is why it took me so long to release this episode. And even so, there are spots where uh, we are hard to hear, and I apologize for that. It actually came out pretty well, though, considering, and I really enjoyed hearing the discussion again. It's always great to talk to Andrew. So my apologies for taking so long to get this out. It's been, what, six, seven, eight months? I don't know. But this discussion on church membership... It was very enjoyable, and I hope you enjoy it, too. Welcome to another episode of Practically Theologians. This is Josh, again with Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Today we're going to talk more about church membership, specifically the benefits of church membership. Also, maybe some practical, what it looks like practically in terms of discipline and uh, the means of grace and sacraments and such. I imagine that'll all be intertwined in our discussion. So uh, hopefully it's hopefully it's helpful to somebody out there. I know I'm I'm enjoying talking. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it's been helpful for me to to go back through the the different points of the discussion and, and think through them. So yeah, this has been beneficial yeah. for me at least. Me too. So that's two people. Yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> so so Andrew, uh, tell me we talked about in our previous episode why you should become a church member, the biblical, let's see, the biblical, let's call it the biblical requirements for church membership. So biblically now, practically speaking, what are the benefits of church membership? Yeah. So maybe Good just, question. maybe just to start uh, with the, the definition that we used when we were talking about what is, what is actual church membership, the way that the new Testament would uh, just would explain it to us or show us by example and also by the different instructions that God gives us through the letters that are written to the different churches. How would we even understand what is local church membership? So maybe just to kind of review or, or uh, recap that when we talk about church membership, we're talking about uh, people who are formally and publicly identifying with a local church or uh, formally and publicly uh, committing themselves to a local church. Uh, so they're, they're doing it formally and that they're making a declaration that, yes, I do identify with this church uh, formally, not just not informally, not that I just come here, but I've, I've actually formally made the decision and gone through the process of becoming a member. And then also publicly in the sense that I've done that so that in a way that the church knows it and the people around me know that I'm associating with this church. And so when we talk about church membership, that that's what we're that's what we're describing. That's what we believe is God's design for Let his Let me add a point here. of clarification, too, to add on to what you said again. I think I did this last time. <laughs> it, has, it has to do also, I think, with uh, accountability. Yeah. So you've made it has to do with making a public profession that these are the things I've agreed to submit to, and these are the people that I'm submitting to. Notably, though, most you're submitting to Christ who gives these uh, – overseers to his church and who gives these other members of the church to you to help you in your sanctification and your growth. And this is uh, where we get into the benefits of church membership, huh? Yes. Yep. So the, when you submit, and this will be a little bit of overlap from the last one, but it's good to unpack it a little bit more here. When you're submitting to the rule of Christ, you're recognizing, right, that as I do this, it's God's design for me to come under the kingship of Christ as he has designed it right with his under shepherds in place, elders there to oversee the to uh, over exercise spiritual oversight. 
um, over my soul and my well-being and my sanctification and my growth um, and, and to be there to encourage me and comfort me um, and help me along in my Christian walk. That's all God's design uh, for his church so that we can grow together and be strong together, build up, have our faith built up together. And, and at times that includes church discipline. Uh, and we have clear instructions in scripture on what the motive of church discipline should be and what the aim should be, meaning that it's always about restoration from our, from our perspective, from human, a human perspective, we are always pursuing the uh, restoration of the one that's uh, come under church discipline. So um, that's a great benefit. And that reminds me of Jude. I preached on Jude a while back and uh, you know, it's the Christian faith is just unworldly, otherworldly. It's crazy. So Jude's talking about these people that are basically in the fire with their garments smoldering and we're supposed to have mercy on them and save them by snatching them out of the fire. Yeah. So as those who are snatched out of the fire, that is the mercy of Christ. That's one yeah. great benefit of being a member of the church is that you have those in the church through whom Christ is mercifully snatching you out of the fire. That's what church discipline is all about, right? That's right. And it's, it's a, I love the way you put that. It's, it's such a great benefit because I think when we, when we hear – church discipline, or maybe when we hear the word discipline in general, um, kind of all of our, our warning lights go off, right? Like, oh, hold on, hold on. And a part of that is because discipline is so abused uh, and, and misused. But uh, I think that if, if we're understanding church discipline properly and the and the um, the aim of it and the motive of it uh, to, to restore those who are uh, starting to move in the wrong direction and are starting to... Uh, uh, they're they're starting to incorporate into their lives things that are not wise, not healthy. Even starting to to show a uh, maybe a moving away from the faith, right? That uh, wh- what we need to realize is when you come into church membership, one of the things that you are saying to the people around you is, um, "I have you you are saying I have faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm coming under the kingship of Christ, and, and I want I want His design for my life because I trust." I trust that his design is right. I trust that his design is good. And I want to come under his uh, his kingship. I want to come under those that uh, that are there to oversee my soul. And in all of that, as you say that, as you go through that membership process formally, like we're talking about, um, you are saying, if I start to stumble, will you catch me? Right? If I start to trip, will you reach out and grab me? If I start to head towards the fire. Will you reach out and bring me back? There, there is a, 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 a plea, right, for the believer entering into membership to say, I know that I am prone to wander. And I am asking, as I, if I ever start to wander, um, will you reach out? And will you go so far as to exercise church discipline on me to bring me back from the flames? Um, there is a lot that, like you said, it is a, that is a great benefit of church membership because that gives us so much peace to know that my brothers and sisters are watching out for me and that they are willing to do just that, to go to those lengths to bring me back, to restore me back to healthy fellowship. So if, if when we see it as a great benefit of church membership and not something that we just kind of have to like uh, kind of grit our teeth and put up with, but no, this is something that I welcome. 
Um, and if I trust God's design, I trust that God is good, uh, then I can welcome this um, as, as something that is a, a beautiful benefit of church membership. Yeah, well, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of the one sheep that Jesus goes and collects, the one sheep that had wandered. Um, it, it, it brings me to shepherding. And uh, why don't you talk about the benefits of being a, a sheep and having a shepherd, a good shepherd? So what are some things we enjoy from our good shepherd in the church? Are you talking about from the the under shepherds or from Christ the shepherd? Well, I would assume that the under shepherds are doing what Christ gives them to do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So both. Yeah. Both and. Yeah. So obviously the, the first two that would come to mind just as very, uh, the, the, the clear instructions that God gives the elders, uh, in addition to church discipline, which we, we were just talking about there, uh, would be the sacraments, right? Um, uh, the the baptism and the Lord's Supper, those are, those are two clear uh, instructions given to the church to say, do this, right? Um, be doing these things as the local church. Uh, and that these are things that are, again, benefits, right? That we have benefits of not, not only benefits of the local church, but benefits of Christ uh, that we are able to partake in. And those take place in the local church. And they are they are benefits of the shepherd given to the flock. So yeah, um, well, the, and of course, not. I mean, I brought up uh, sacraments as a topic I would like to talk about, but let's not forget the primary uh, means of grace, which is the gospel preached. Yes, um, from which the sacraments. That's where they derive their meaning. Uh, yep, that is huge, right? As far I'm thinking of shepherds, like feeding. I I always think of food, right? And and as a um, as as a human being, the the food that we need and the water, the drink that we need is not most importantly earthly, but most importantly heavenly. It's it's feeding on Christ Himself that we enjoy in the context of being shepherded by Christ, and that is that is primarily through the preached gospel, right? Right. Yep. So, so the preaching and the teaching of the word, yeah, it's, uh, that, that would be, yeah, totally agree. That is a, a benefit of, um, being of gathering together as, as God's people and, and embracing his design for the church where the, the word is preached, um, and taught. And also I think you would even have, uh, the benefits there of the shepherd where, uh, Christ is, uh, not, not only is he proclaiming his word through, the under shepherds in the church, but also uh, caring for the souls of the flock where that that's the area where um, you, you, the shepherds, the under shepherds um, as do, doing the work of Christ in the local, in the local church setting are rolling up their sleeves and walking alongside the sheep uh, and knowing where their hurts are, their struggles, their pain, uh, where they're and where they're rejoicing, right? So that we can, fulfill that where we, we rejoice with those who are rejoicing and we weep with those who weep. Uh, that yeah. starts with the under shepherds, right? That That's a command that goes out to the church, but it starts with the under shepherds uh, extending that care that Christ has for his body, right? Extending that care to the church. I'm, I'm constantly just uh, reminded of when we talk about, when we pray for God to comfort somebody, 
right? Or when we, when we pray for God to give someone strength, when we know that we have a, a loved one that's going through a trial or something that we're praying for God to, to be there for them, to, for them to know God's presence. And a lot of times the, the, the primary way that that takes place is through God's people, right? When we, we, God comforts his sheep by being the, um, the, being there in and through the sheep that are around that individual. So, uh, I think, and that, and that begins with the elders, the, the under shepherds leading in that way. I've got a plethora of questions that just came into my mind. Great. <laughs> All right. So, so, so let's talk about something. The sacraments. Okay. I just, just, I was just thinking who, who, who is allowed to sit in a church worship service and hear the gospel preached. You don't have to be a member of the church in order to do that. Right. That's right. Well, what about the sacraments? And, 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 and so why is it that you have to be a member of the church? Well, assuming you do to partake in the sacraments, but not to hear the gospel preached is now another question that we're not prepared for necessarily, but Hey, you want to talk about it? Sure. Yeah. So, um, our, we would be at our church, we take a little bit of a different approach to the Lord's supper, uh, than even what some other, even reformed Baptist churches, uh, uh, would, would take. But, um, so we're, we're a community church that wouldn't necessarily identify as reformed Baptist. So, uh, but our, our approach to the Lord's supper would be that, anyone who has faith in Christ would be welcome to partake. And that's usually how we uh, introduce that or, or uh, when we're doing the Lord's Supper is that we're extending that call to anyone who has faith in Christ uh, okay. is, is uh, welcome to partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, so it'd be, but that's different, even though like what you're saying, there is still a distinction between that and someone who's allowed to hear the gospel preached, which is anybody. Right, we we would never make a distinction when when we so, start the sermon, right? That hey, this this sermon goes out to all of those who years. have faith, right? Otherwise, you cover yeah, <laughs> your ears or, or leave. So so there's a difference there, and I think um, it has to do with the in our view, um, the the Lord's Supper is a means of grace that is a reminder to those that um, it's more than a reminder, right? But it, it functions as a uh, it's pointing to or reminding you as a means of grace who you are in Christ, which wouldn't apply to someone who who is not in Christ, right? Hey, so that's, let's, let's stick let's stick on communion for a minute. Okay. Okay. So communion has so speaking of the church, we have a, a local manifestation of the universal church, might be how we would describe the two mm-hmm. kind of the two manifestations of the or the two not manifestations, what do you call it? The two ex- Existences, you have the all of those who are Christ's people, and then you have uh, God's people who are gathered in a local church. And so, communion has two aspects to it, in my view. What do you think? So, we have this aspect of it where we, in order to take communion, we fence the table. We say, You must be well, what I'm used to is you must be a uh, uh, Bible believing. Protestant Christian who is a member of a local church somewhere. So in other words, you're submitting to Christ in discipline under, under the rule of elders somewhere. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but 
in order to take communion, because of what communion means in terms of partaking of the body and blood of Christ, it's it's a serious issue if you're not submitted to Christ in a local church somewhere. So therefore, you shouldn't take communion if you're not a member of a church. But you may have a difference with that, and that's fine. But I was just thinking, there's kind of a there's a uh, an aspect of commu- of the Lord's Supper where it's connected to discipline, isn't it? In the local church, if, for example, someone who is under serious church discipline would not be allowed to take the the Lord's Supper until they repented of their sin that they're committing in whatever that means, because the elders don't want that person to take the Lord's Supper in judgment. Um, So that's a local church aspect of the Lord's Supper. But then you have more of a universal earthly church aspect, or even heavenly, I guess. I don't know how that works. but uh, Where you don't have to be a member of that local church to take communion, just a member of Christ's church. And so you're partaking, you're partaking in a sacrament that can it can it it's kind of a universal church thing and a local church thing, isn't it? Two aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with the that. Thing with baptism, uh, I would connect baptism to church membership, but it's not like if you move into another town and you were baptized at one church, then you have to go get baptized at, into another church. Um, your baptism counts because it was done in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the in a church of of Jesus, right? So, so there's kind of a and then, but then the particularly the elders, um, the elders would make sure that if you are a member of the church, you would be baptized because baptism identifies you as one of Christ's sheep. It identifies you as a member of the church. Anyway. So there's kind of the uni- universal church. Do I have that term right? Universal church and yeah, local church. That's how, yep, yep, that's how sacraments in yep. those regards. What do you, w- would you apply those things differently? Uh, especially in terms of the Lord's Supper, its connection to uh, – let's talk about that. Its connection to discipline. Would you Would you see it differently than I would? Um, I just said a lot, I think. It wasn't very organized. <laughs> that's right. No, that's good. Um <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot of talking, so please, by all means, uh, yeah, this this is these are good questions to think through. Uh, as far as the as far as discipline from the Lord's Supper, I've never been in a situation uh, where that was the case, uh, where we had to extend dis- we had to take discipline that, to that length. Um, so I don't I don't know how we would do that here. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm actually not even sure what my thoughts will be on that. My, my initial thought is um, I just would want to be very careful on uh, um, restricting someone from taking the Lord's Supper or, <coughs> or taking communion who is a member of the of the universal church. Um, but I, I understand that I, I just had to think through that a little more. I'm not studying that out in depth to, to kind of know to be, I guess, firm on a position there. Um, but I, that would be my, my gut, uh, caution, I guess, is that I want, I would want to be careful not to, if, if I know that someone is, uh, if I'm comfortable with someone's testimony or, or that they, that they have faith in Christ, then I would want to, I want to be careful restricting them from partaking in what I would say is rightfully theirs because of Christ's 
what Christ has accomplished for them. That being said, it's different if if I'm if someone is not showing that they're a believer, right? Then in that case, I would say, well, then you there's no reason for you to be taking the Lord's Supper yeah. if you're not uh, if through your actions or through your words you're, you're not if you're not someone who has repented of their sin, right? Yep. If if you're showing an, a very rebellious, uh, like a of, of a clear rebellious or unrepentant heart on a sin that has been brought to you. Right. And you're saying, basically what I would say is you're, you're, you're saying, I, I recognize that this is a sin and I really don't give a rip. Um, then I would say in that case that that's, that's actually a confession of, um, I don't need salvation. Right. I don't need Christ. I don't know what, I don't know what purpose Christ is now serving for, for that person. So, um, in that case, I would say that that, that's where I would, when it comes to communion, I would say this, this wouldn't apply to a non-believer, and that seems to be what you're confessing to be. Um, yeah. So, yeah, in that case, I would say that that's that's where I would see that application. But um, I'm, I'm connected to um, keeping watch over the flock uh, and participating the the idea of um, eating and drinking judgment unto yourself. So, as elders, the shepherds would have a responsibility to their flock to ensure as best as best they can without infringing on the um, freedom of conscience of an individual, but as best they can to ensure that their flock is not eating and drinking judgment under themselves. So that's where I would connect it to church discipline is when the elders are in a situation where someone is, is has been in a pattern of sin and it's not clear that they really have repented because of this continuing pattern of sin that they've been committing in that situation, it might be wise for the elders to say, we're going to suspend you from the Lord's table for your own good, basically, and for the good of the church. Uh, because at that point, it would be, I, I would assume that, 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 that the steps of church discipline would have brought that into public light in the church. And I've seen that happen in, in our church, in our past church, and it was good. And the process restored, um, restored the person to, into good standing. I mean, they were restored back twice actually uh, into the church through this process. So anyway, that's, that's how I would see it is the shepherds guarding, guarding their flock from eating and drinking unworthily and, and drinking judgment or eating and drinking judgment to themselves because of that. But I also would be very careful to uphold the freedom of conscience of an individual. As far as just somebody from another church coming in, I, I agree. I have basically the same view as you that, if you believe in Jesus Christ, um, if you're a Christian, uh, I would add if you're a member in good standing in a Bible-believing Protestant church, but you don't have to add that if you don't want. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, yeah, come, take take with us. Um, that's great. But anyway, there you go. I think we should move on from, unless you got something to add on on this. Let's just real quick on the on the baptism side too. One of the things that we've uh, that we've really tried to emphasize and move toward is uh, the the connection between baptism when we're talking about the benefits of membership. Right? Uh, is that that really when we're talking when we see the design in the local in the in the New Testament, um, usually people are being baptized into the local church. So that, I think there's a there's a, definitely a, something worth thinking through there. We don't have to spend a lot of time talking about it, but definitely something worth thinking through there that um, if membership is, if, if, if baptism is God's design and membership is God's design, then uh, is 
we we always recommend that you pursue baptism into membership. So, uh, so that you don't become a baptized person who is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, we don't spend a lot of time talking about that, but there is a connection there. This is great. So my, so actually related to baptism and the Lord's supper, uh, my favorite text to think about is, is first Corinthians 10. It's fascinating that Paul tells these Corinthian believers that their fathers, referring to Israel, by the way, this is an argument against dispensationalism, uh, <laughs> in case you need one, but their fathers were baptized in the Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, and they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, etc. And then he goes into the Lord's Supper later in chapter 10 there. Um, uh, so that's a great passage to look into if you want to get an idea of what, what what baptism and the Lord's Supper are all about. There's an identification in that, in that, um, mm. in that sacrament, yeah. especially if, well, you're identifying with Christ, with Christ as you eat and drink the Lord's Supper, but also, especially in baptism, it marks you out. There's a definitive line that's being crossed when Israel, it, it's not a line, but it's a state of being. Before they crossed the Red Sea, they were, they were in Egypt, and after they crossed the Red Sea, they were in the Mediator, they mm. were in Moses, baptized into Moses, and so they were made into a nation, um, made in, marked out as God's people in that moment, uh, under a Mediator, which is interesting. And there's a lot in that passage that's interesting, like drinking from the spiritual rock that followed them. What's that all about? Yeah, right. That's yeah, so good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. And, uh, but I, that's my favorite passage to go to in terms of baptism being a mark that you are yeah. now a part of people of God. And you and I would have a difference there in baptism, but I think we would agree on that, right? We would have a difference on who should be baptized as a, who should be a member of the church. But in terms of marking, do you disagree? Do you, I would assume you agree. Yeah, totally. Baptism, it marks you out as being a member of the church. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is why we would always we would always uh, like re I, I, I wouldn't want to say like require, but I also want to it's it's not quite like a require, but it's definitely stronger than a recommend, right? Um, we would exhort someone who's being baptized to to be baptized into membership at our church, um, unless there's some circumstance that won't allow that, right? But um, but yeah, we would always we would always be that would be the aim, um, and we would just say. If, if we believe that membership is God's design, then you really have to have a, a really good reason why you wouldn't do that if you're seeking to pursue God's design in your life, which baptism is a part of, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's clear baptism baptism and church membership are very much connected yep. uh, in the Bible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would, I would assume that if baptism was happening in the church— it would be connected to becoming a member in the church, yeah. the local uh, church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So we have a, um, yeah, there's, there's a, we've definitely had people that have come and I think, yeah, th- there's definitely, there, there's a, not every church is like that, that would require you to become a member upon your baptism. Um, but I think that that's, we would just see that as very healthy, uh, a, a healthy understanding of like that idea that you're talking about, like you're, you're, this baptism is marking you as is your membership, right? Yeah. As a as a member of God's universal church. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's get into practical stuff on membership uh, because um, so that that that's a question I have is um, which we didn't ask last time, but uh, so the actual process of church membership typically nowadays, well, at least in the churches like a Reformed church or a Presbyterian church, you'd have a few statements that you that would be read. Do you believe in the triune God? Do you believe in the scriptures? Do you believe in the gospel? Basic um, questions uh, that you would answer in front of the congregation as you became a member. Um, so membership really is connected to the idea of a public profession of faith in the churches that I've, mem- I've been a member of recently. Um, uh, and so the actual process of membership is along the lines of an interview by elders and then a public profession of faith, and then you're part of the local church as far as publicly saying I'm submitted submitting to this church as being the church uh, where I'm to be shepherded, and then also I'm publicly um, identifying with this church as far as being a a uh, supportive member of this church. Is that how you would look at how to become a member? <laughs> In other words, we don't we don't sign a document or anything like that, right? But yeah. we do have a, a list of members that names are added to. Yeah, yeah, we have we have the list. We don't have uh, people sign a document or anything like that. But we do have a list of those who have um, formally been added as church members, uh, and I think that that's one of the one of the very practical benefits of having a, a membership process. Um, is it a one, it allows the elders uh, and anyone else that would want to come alongside and ask questions, but specifically the, the elders who are overseeing the, the spiritual aspect of the body. Uh, it allows church leadership to have a conversation, right, to have a conversation with those who are pursuing membership to talk about what do you believe? What is the gospel? What, do you, what does it mean to believe in Christ alone? Is that, where, you know, is that where your faith is? Uh, that conversation is very, very important. Um, but then on top of that, when that, when that, uh, as the, as the elders are able to have that conversation and really kind of get below the surface and and really get to know the individuals that are pursuing membership, um, there's, there's benefit there in just that you can, you can cover it. You can discuss anything where there is, um, where there are differences that come to the surface. Um, and you can really take the time that's needed to discuss those if there are any differences or anything like that. Um, but also, um, once that conversation has taken place um, and the person goes before the body and becomes a formal and public member of that church body, then both the elders and the body are publicly affirming the faith of that member um, of those coming into membership as best we can. Right. And and we know that we're, we're fallible. We, we make errors, but through the conversations that we've had, they've gone through the membership class, they've talked to the elders um, they, they've had, there's been a lot of conversation there to the best of our ability and the best that we can discern when we're talking about the gospel. And do you understand the gospel? And have you put your faith in Christ alone? Um, this doesn't mean that your life is perfect or anything like that. Right. But, uh, but far from it. But what we're saying is, do you understand the gospel and what it means to be a savior? I mean, to be a sinner falling on Christ alone as your savior. Do you get that? And is that your profession? Um, yeah. and when the body and the elders say, Yes, we we receive you into this church body. There is a very uh, that is a great benefit of local church membership is that you now have a body 
and elders coming around you saying, we've heard your testimony and we affirm your faith. Um, and that is a, that's a powerful thing when you're going through a dark time, right? When you're like, I don't even know, right? I don't know where I'm at. Things are going crazy right now. And to have a body come alongside you and say, yeah, but we know your testimony. We know who you are. We're affirming your faith. We're, we're granting you what Paul would say. Um, we're pointing you to Christ and reassuring you or giving you that assurance that your faith is real um, and that the Christ that you have put your faith in is real. Um, that's a that's a powerful benefit of, of formal church membership when you've identified yourself with a body who can remind you of your profession. Um, and uh, yeah, that's I think that's a benefit that we don't want to overlook. So related to that kind of is, I was just thinking about the shepherd analogy again, which John did. <laughs> I mean, and Psalm 23 is great, but for some reason, the shepherd thing, that's the way we talk about it. But have you ever thought about the sheepfold? So the shepherd who goes out and searches for that one sheep out of and leaves the 99 in the sheepfold, uh, in order to know that he needs to search for that one sheep, that one sheep must have been within the fold at some point. The shepherd would know that sheep. So making a public identification with a church is putting yourself under the care of that shepherd so that they know, hey, where's this person? They haven't been to church for six weeks or something like that. They know there's somebody who's missing from the sheepfold. A great benefit of becoming a church member is that you are known as one who is if necessary, one who needs to be searched for and rescued by the shepherds of the church. Yeah. Uh, I actually think that people maybe don't, maybe we underestimate the value of this. Even, even maybe, um, even maybe as shepherds, we underestimate the responsibility we have in this. For example, lapsed members or members you haven't seen for a long time. I don't know how it works in your church and I'm not going to ask and I won't tell you how it works in my church, but I I think that in a lot of churches, those people are just ignored. They kind of just fall off the, off the, uh, what's the way of saying that they fall off the table. Now they fall off. (laughs) They just kind of fall out of the, out of the life of the church. And eventually maybe their names are erased from membership. But I think as members and as shepherds in the church, those who are in the sheepfold who who have been missing for quite a while, both the members and the shepherds of the church should reach out, figure out what's going on. Maybe they've decided there's a better fit for them. Maybe they're in sin and they need, they need somebody to come alongside them and help them um, re- with their re- repentance and re- restoration to the sheepfold. Maybe they're being attacked by wolves. Who knows? So that's another great benefit of being a member is that you are counted as one of the sheep. And that your shepherds know you, you know your shepherds, and you know you can count on being looked for if you ever go missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that is a and that that starts at the at the uh, when you when you are becoming a member of a church, right? That's where that that's where that groundwork is laid, um, so that someone isn't caught off guard when they're when they're gone for three or four Sundays, and someone says, "Hey, I, I haven't seen you in a while." Uh, the person that understands the value of church membership and that's been thoroughly explained to them, that shouldn't catch them off guard. That should be a welcomed uh, question, right? That I I would have expected nothing less from my church body than to come looking for me. Right. Right. Um, And uh, yeah. And I think that when church membership isn't explained well uh, and it becomes, and it's, it's 
it's implemented for lesser reasons or for different motives, then that can almost be a kind of like a, you know, what, why are you at, almost like an accusatory thing, right? Like, why are you after me like this? Um, yeah, you're not the boss of me. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that groundwork has, it's very helpful if that groundwork is laid at the beginning to say, Hey, yeah. this is, this is a commitment that you're making to the church and that the church is making to you. Uh, we are, and these are things we haven't really talked about, Josh. We talked about the shepherding aspect, but um, another reason that we know uh, that church membership and, and that a local church body that's clearly uh, laid out and defined is the the terms with family and, and body that the that the New Testament uses yeah. often. So uh, we're coming after you like we're coming after an arm, right? Or like well, if I was missing my eyeballs, yeah. <laughs> so so that and that's that's a good thing, right? That's a loving thing to know that. Um, I'm, I play, God has plugged me into a church where I have, I have purpose and I have a role to play, uh, whatever that is, whatever gifting God has given me. They're, they're, they're important and they're a part of this church. And when I'm missing, this church is going to come looking and, and I can rely on that and I can trust that. Um, yeah. just the same way that I would trust that there's going to be church discipline. If I'm, if I'm failing or if I'm flailing somewhere, right. That, uh, that the church discipline is there to, to remind me and, and give me security, uh, that I'm not going to be left to to starve, and at the same time, in the same way here, right? That um, the church is going to be looking for me and not leave me and just let me just kind of you know wander off and be gone. So um, those are very comforting benefits that come with someone that come with publicly identifying yourself with a church body. Uh, that now this church body has got is is there for me, right? And so that, those yeah. are very helpful. Yeah. So uh, I mean, we, we we've. We've throughout this, I think we've touched on what would be called the means of grace. So the, the gospel preached, the sacraments are taken up, or you might call them the marks of the church. There are many means of grace that I guess, but the marks of the church would be the gospel rightly preached, the sacraments rightly administered, and church discipline rightly practiced. And those are all benefits that you don't enjoy uh, as a non-member of a church. But um, but also fellowship, prayer. Uh, singing praise, all those things that you do together in public worship are of great benefit to the believer. And yeah. um, it's just uh, a shame that we don't take advantage of them as heartily as we might. <laughs> yep. I can't and say then, I'm, I'm always uh, 100% in public worship. <laughs> and there, 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 are, uh, there are two other quick ones, Josh, I want to drop in here. Um, that I think are, are very, very helpful as well. Um, or I should say very, very comforting and, and uh, I would say beautiful benefits of the of local church membership. Uh, one is, uh, so uh, in our context here, when we have, when we are um, looking to make a decision on something or um, it could be a bringing on a new elder or bringing on a deacon, uh, it could be a decision that the church is making as a, in general, uh, we would there are on a lot of those larger decisions like that that have that have a lot to do with the direction of the church. Um, and I think it might be different, you know, with the, in the context that you're in. But here, um, the, the the congregation would have a vote in that, would have a say in that. Um, and church membership allows you to guard that uh, so that those who have committed themselves to this church and gone through the process and their faith has been affirmed and they have publicly and formally, they're identifying with this church and they've committed to uh, be a, a, a part of this church and oversee the, the well-being of this church together as a church family and a church body. Those are the ones that are then also having a say um, right. in 
the I was going to ask leaders. about that. So I was going to ask about that because often we think of church membership as, well, I say we, I mean, typical American evangelicalism, kind of the context I grew up in. I thought mainly of church membership, the benefit as being voting. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of have a negative, well, a negative view on that as far as that being the primary reason for membership. But what you just said is very important. Uh, it's a process of guarding the flock right. from wolves, especially when in your context, uh, things are more, um, the congregation has more input um, that's required of them. Yeah. You want to make sure that your that your members who are making decisions that affect the flock spiritually are indeed uh, faithful Christians as far as you can tell, right? Yep, that's right. And and then having that, when that's the way that it is, uh, when that's the context that you're in, like we are here, uh, one, it makes the membership process very important. Um, but then the, the, it's uh, there's a there's two sides to that coin, right? So the elders are being very careful on uh, making sure that everybody that comes in knows who we are as a church and that also that they understand the gospel uh, and they understand the distinctives that make this local church what it is. Right. Uh, and then once they're, once they're brought in as members, then they have the, the uh, part of their responsibility then is to participate in voting in elders and deacons um, right. and, and things like that. So the church guards itself, right. When you, when you're doing it like that and it prevents, uh, well, I, it's no it's, human. It slows down. It slows, <laughs> yeah. It, it helps work against, um, <laughs> spiritual uh, strain, right? Uh, check and balance. Yeah, yep. So that that's a now. If that was, I, I would agree with your your hesitation there. If that is, uh, if that's something where um, the church is promoting the benefit is that you get a vote, right? And then that that can go haywire in a hurry. Um, but when it's understood as a as kind of like these are the checks and balances that are in place to, for the church to guard itself. Not that you get a vote. That's not the point. The point is that you now are, be able, you are able to share in the responsibility of guarding and guiding the church. Um, right. Cause the Bible talks about selecting from among yourselves. Right. Officers in the church. Right? Yep. Yep. And now you get a, yep. you get to, you, you know, that now we have the, the collective congregation having a say um, it's not that there's, yeah, there's value in that. Um, yeah, in, and that, the as far as voting on elders and deacons, in my context, that would be the same, and and the pastor as well. Yep. So in our church, we have a minister, we have three offices, not two. So it's minister, elder, and deacon. But in all three offices, the congregation votes on the nominations, yeah, uh, put forward. Yep. So yeah, well, same thing there. Yep. So that, that yeah. I've, I've heard it. I can't remember where I read it, but I I think it came out of maybe out of out of a nine marks article or something. But um, basically the the stability of your leadership, um, starting talking about faithfulness to scripture and, and um, understanding their role and, and uh, overseeing the church well, the, the stability of that of your leadership hinges on your membership process. It mm, really does, because the, especially if, if your membership, if your congregation has the responsibility of nominating or uh, voting on who's going to be the leadership. Um, your membership process is where that starts, right? Um, I wonder if you're, I wonder if what you're describing is more, uh, I would guess it's more of a Baptistic, more of a congregational style. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause, uh, the way I look at it is there are kind of three, 
three ways that the church is guarded. There'd be the, the, the officers of the church, the overseers, the deacons, etc. There'd be the congregation, uh, which would help hold them accountable. But there's the third, which would be um, confessions of the church. And so the officers and the congregation are held all held accountable to what they profess to believe. So there's that third, um, it's kind of outside the people in the church. It's kind of more of a, it's a standard that helps slow. It's just another aspect that helps slow down the error that can come in very quickly. If you're, yeah. if your elders are unfaithful or if your congregation's unfaithful or both, even one person in the congregation still has recourse when there's a, a standard that's held to outside of um, just the people saying yeah. what they think, yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, that, yeah, so I'm not sure, your church, is your church um, confessional or does it have a statement of faith type thing? So, so the, what would operate there um, currently, the, yeah, we, we have our, our church constitution, uh, which lays out a lot of the, the processes and also some of the, the critical, like in, in the membership processes. Well, you have to be Trinitarian in your church. <laughs> Do you have to be Trinitarian? Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't become a member if you weren't Trinitarian. Right. Yeah. But is there kind of a standard that holds even the teaching of the church to being Trinitarian? Is that, is that in your constitution? So we have a statement. Yeah. I mean, we have a, we have a, we have the constitution um, and then we have the statement of faith, which is yeah. uh, the statement of faith is um, not like as in depth as a confession. Right. Um, but between the two, those are the, those are the outside of people documents that right. would govern, um, that would be so like, you'd have something check. similar. Yeah. Yep. Not as, not as, as, a, as a not as awesome, right? <laughs> What's that? Just not as awesome. Yeah. Not as awesome as a confession. Yeah. Good. Just kidding. So, and, and then I'm Josh, sure. one other one that I wanted to just throw out there that this is probably what my, uh, my one, I think that is maybe most often missed, uh, when it comes to the benefits, maybe not, I don't know. There's something that for me was really, I really, really appreciate about church membership. Um, when you, when you formally and publicly commit yourself to a local body and someone else does the same, right? You're, you're basically in covenant with each other that I'm going to look out for you and you're going to look out for me, right? That's what allows us to have church discipline and everything else work well. Caring, caring for your, the members of your own body, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and so when that happens, what that does is it gives you this, it, it provides the security and the space to be able to work through some difficult things. Um, in a way that is healthy and actually grows our faith. Uh, and so the this Tim Keller kind of draws this picture of this one in his mar- in his book on marriage. Um, when he, he talks he talks about marriage in the same terms, but he says, you know, when you enter into the covenant of marriage, now you've created a, a, a space that is secure so that you can talk about tough things and not worry about your spouse leaving at the drop of a hat, right? Where if you're before marriage, before the covenant, um, if if someone if you find out something about someone, you're like, wow, that's a lot more sin than I actually wanted to deal with. Right. It's very easy to leave. And obviously it's, it's easy to divorce someone today, but in the context of a Christian marriage, when you find something out about, oh, wow, I didn't realize that that was a weakness of yours or that you're struggling with that. Um, you can talk about it. Um, and, and you don't, you can be, you can be you open and honest with your spouse, right. Without, without worrying about them just leaving you. Um, right. And I think yeah. the same applies to the church, the local church context. When you realize I can be open and honest and we can work through some really hard stuff, um, some really hard stuff and not have to worry about that person leaving because I said something wrong or I didn't, I, I sinned a certain way. 
they're they're here for me for the long haul, and their covenant their their covenant commitment to this body makes that possible. Um, I don't think we I, that's a that's a benefit of the of church membership, and I don't think that we apply that one enough. Um, yeah, that's a good one. that's a good point. I, I think I've seen this. I've seen this in practice, and it's been done well. I've also seen it where it's not done well, and I. The difference, as I perceive it, is graciousness. When yeah. when you're together in a church, you should be allowed to say what you think to another person. I mean, not not out of turn or anything, but you shouldn't be afraid to say, hey, look, this is in my mind. Why don't you give me some input? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think I'm crazy? What's what's going on here? Um, I think I've seen it poorly practiced too. I've seen it practiced well and poorly practiced, and I think that's that is a great benefit. It's not something we would naturally uh, think of as a benefit of church membership, but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and it also allows us to do that to like Paul talks about in Galatians um, chapter six, where he talks about you know if you see someone in sin, reach out and help them, and uh, there there are multiple. I mean, he goes on there. There are multiple things that we have to, that are maybe hindrances to us doing that. Right. And Paul talks about your own pride and your own uh, arrogance would get in the, can well, get in the obviously way. Obviously in a church, you're perfect because all Christians are perfect. Right. Right. Once you're in the church, that's what membership does. It makes you perfect. So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But um, well, in then, case it then it's taboo to talk about sin. Yeah. In case it I doesn't. It's seriously, I think how we think. Yeah. Right. And so, and so, um, and it makes it awkward. Uh, it can make it awkward. So there are, there are a lot of reasons why we might not reach out to someone who's struggling um, in, a, in a sin. Um, but one of them can be, uh, I really, really appreciate this person's friendship and I'm afraid of what's going to happen, right? If I, if I call something out, if I, if I point yeah. something out. And church membership, when, it, when we understand it in a healthy way, allows us to at least be on the same page of like, hey, this is going to be awkward. This is going to be weird, but I also know that it's not going to break us. Right. And And I would uh, think of it from the flip side too. If you're someone who needs help, yeah, you don't want to be afraid of asking. That's right. That's right. Yep. So that, that commitment that we've made to each other provides that, uh, that security that we need in the space that we need to be able to have those conversations without fear of being abandoned or, um, someone leaving. So, uh, yeah, I think we, we need to recognize how powerful those commitments are to each other and then uh, rest on them, right, and, and uh, use them, yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Um, well, it looks to me like we've gone longer than we intended. <laughs> uh, did you have anything else to add? No, this has been really good. I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, coming on. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't remember if I said anything at the beginning that we would talk about at the end that I forgot about, but I guess if I did, we'll cut we'll catch it next time. <laughs> Whenever that is. Fair enough. <laughs> Alright. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. Once again, podcast at practicallytheologians.org. Do you have any feedback? We don't get a lot of emails. I think we've gotten maybe one or two, but you know, I always put that out there. Uh, thanks for coming on, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Appreciate it.